Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. For my yoga teacher friends who are interested in working with the pregnant population, Prenatal Yoga Center offers an 85-hour Yoga Alliance certified program based on our three-pronged theory of prenatal yoga, asana, education, and community. Once a year, we hold our three-month immersion program in New York City. For those who cannot attend this training, Caprice and I are now traveling to different locations holding our training at hosting studios where we will spend six days working together, exploring and learning about prenatal yoga. This training consists of more than 50 hours working together. We also created a whole membership website with more than 20 videos corresponding directly to the manual you will receive. For more information, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. Hope to work with you soon. Take care. Today, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Greg Rubenstein of 57th Street Chiropractic. Most doctors of chiropractic share the yogi and midwifery philosophy of natural birthing, and the research supports that chiropractic care during pregnancy results in safer and easier delivery for both mom and baby. Proper preparation for birth should include some form of safe exercise and prenatal-specific chiropractic care. Aside from less pain during pregnancy and faster and safer births, this care can bring the expectant mother a greater sense of confidence and trust in her body's ability to function normally during pregnancy and birth. Thank you, Dr. Greg Rubenstein of 57th Street Chiropractic, for sponsoring today's show. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're speaking with Sharon Muja, and we are going to talk about labor variations. So oftentimes we go to a childbirth ed class, and we kind of get this basic, or if I can even put in quotes, normal labor. But not all labors look like what we hear about in the textbooks. Sometimes they're longer, sometimes they're shorter, sometimes they're back labor. There's different variations. So Sharon is going to talk to us a little bit about that. But first, let me tell you a little bit about her. Sharon Muser has been an active childbirth professional since 2004, teaching Lamaze classes and providing doula service to more than a thousand families through her private practice in Seattle, Washington. She's an instructor at the Simkin Center, Vassar University, where she's a birth doula trainer. Sharon is also a trainer with Passion for Birth, a Lamaze accredited childbirth educator program. In September 2011, Sharon was admitted as a fellow to the Academy of Certified Childbirth Educators. In 2015, Sharon was awarded Lamaze International Media Award for promoting safe and healthy birth. Very active in her community, serving in a variety of positions that promote maternal infant health, Sharon enjoys active online engagement and facilitating discussions around best practice, current research, and its practical application to community standards and actions by health care providers and how that affects families in the childbearing year. Sharon has been an engaging speaker in international conferences on topics of interest of birth professionals and enjoying collaborating with others to share ideas and information that benefit birth professionals and families. To learn more about Sharon, you are invited to visit her website at SharonMusa.com. Hi, Sharon. Thank you so, so much for spending some time with me this afternoon. Well, my afternoon, more your late morning. So yeah, I'm glad to be here, Deb. Thanks for asking. Me. Absolutely. So let's start with a little bit of what got you started on this path as a birth advocate and educator. Well, um, I'm starting my 15th year and I have two children, one who's 20 and one who's um, 
16 and a half, and I had two di- very different birth experiences. And um, uh, and after having my second child, I, I um, like many other people, found myself interested in um, learning more about birth and sharing what I uh, found out. Since then, um, I really love teaching now. Um, I, I feel like I could teach anything to anybody. Um, I just like to be engaging and interactive and um, let people discover their journeys. Uh, people are smart in their own right. And um, with a little bit of a structure, they uh, get where they need to go. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like you've worked with a lot of people in these 15 years. That's great. All right, so let's start with our labor variations. So as I mentioned, you know, labor definitely isn't textbook, nor should we expect it to be that way. It doesn't always go how we've read about or how we've been told about. So one that I know a lot of women don't know about that I don't think is actually talked about in many childbirth education classes, prodromal labor. So can you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah, prodromal labor is a labor that um, may be starting and stopping um, over time, over a period of several days or even a week or more. Um, Often the early or latent phase of labor when the cervix is um, still kind of getting started and making some changes. Um, And uh, it can be really challenging for families who... Uh, who have a labor that's not quite picked up a lot of steam yet. Um, and it can be very exhausting emotionally and physically when you're on that journey. And how does that differ from Braxton Hicks? Right. Well, Braxton Hicks are, are what I call toning contractions. Uh, they tone the uterus. Some people feel them through, through most of their pregnancy, you know, second trimester on. Other people never have a Braxton Hicks contraction at all. Um, I often uh, hear people tell me that they feel Braxton Hicks really right in the front of their uh, abdomen, uh, kind of like a tightening. I sometimes call it abs of steel, you know, when your abdomen gets really nice and hard for a little bit. Um, But prodromal, and and, and they have no really regularity, you know, they're not coming with, with regular every so many minutes. And also, they're not making cervical change. But real, real contractions, like someone might be having in prodromal labor, are uh, slowly, slowly making change and do come with uh, some regular pattern to them, whether it's 20 minutes apart, 15 minutes apart, or five minutes apart. So, how do, what to do if a woman suspects she's having prodromal labor? Yeah, boy, Deb, I wish I had an easy answer for you. My my short, snarky answer is like, just like we tell new parents, sleep when the baby sleeps, you know, which is also really hard. Uh, Ignore it as long as you can is my advice. But I know how hard that is. Um, I like to say that we should ignore labor until it grabs you by the ears and it says, I am here. (laughs) Um, So resting and hydrating and eating nourishing foods, distractions, sleeping, kind of like living life life light, if that's possible, can really help to not be focused on how long this has been going on and why isn't there any change and why haven't I ticked over into a more active labor. But that's really hard. And I know it is. But it really is the best gift someone can give um, 
some, you know, an experience of prodromal labor. And you can also mix in a little, um, maybe things that could help reposition the baby or, uh, and, you know, sometimes something like a shot of morphine, um, can, can really help reset things if, if someone is, is going through that or, or like the midwife suggestion often of, you know, a warm bath and a half a glass of wine and a Benadryl, which, you know, is like midwife's morphine. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, those all are some things, but it's really hard. Yeah. I know. And moms think like, you know, they're waiting all this time and then something starts and they think it's going to keep going and then it just kind of putters out or just kind of stays the same. It's a lot of, it sounds like what we recommend for women in early labor. I call it um like a labor project, you know, like start baking the cookies until they're burning. Cause then by that point, obviously you're not <laughs> <Yeah>. caring. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Is there anything right. that would add to the likeliness of a woman having prodromal labor, like an athlete with a strong pelvic floor or uh, previous prodromal labors with past pregnancies? Yeah. Great question. So, I wouldn't necessarily say that a history of prodromal labor in a previous pregnancy and birth predicts how this one will go. I've worked with many people who had a really long first labor, which is typical for a first-time parent, and um, boom, their second labor was nothing like they expected, and it went quite fast. So I I haven't seen a trend there. Uh, I I often think that prodromal labor... may be caused by a malpositioned baby who needs to reposition themselves a little bit. Or, um, I mean, sometimes there can be a little bit of an emotional block. Sometimes when someone is having their second child uh, and their first child is around and hanging around and, you know, asking the parent for a lot of things, it's really hard to be a laboring person and a parent at the same time. And as soon as that, that older child is removed or goes to bed, boom, things really pick up. So, you know, thinking about both physical things that we can do to help and as well as might there be an emotional concern. Um, I've seen people who have not connected well with their healthcare provider who kind of plunk along in this very slow labor. And then when they know that that health provider is, is, is no longer on call, things really change. So can be lots of stuff. Yeah, I, I believe, I think the two things you said really resonate with the way that I practice as a prenatal teacher and doula is about the baby position and the emotional side. I know for me with um, my second child, even that was a quick birth, things really changed when my son left the house. I right. He was there taking an epic nap, which he never did. And then <laughs> as soon as the nanny got him out of the house, my daughter was born an hour and a half later. It's just I knew I needed that that mental space to be like, okay, now we can do this. So is there anything a woman can do during pregnancy to help avoid a prodromal labor? Well, staying well hydrated is always important because the uterus is a muscle and muscles don't like to work when they're dehydrated. So uh, staying hydrated, particularly in what looks like a prodromal or early labor, um, getting exercise throughout your pregnancy, I think, is also really helpful. It doesn't have to be CrossFit, you know. It can <laughs> it probably be, shouldn't be CrossFit. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I know people who do that too. But uh, just gentle walking, yoga, swimming, things that are just that just allow you to become familiar with the, your body and being able to to stretch and release and um, be have some awareness of that can be really helpful. Um, not entering not entering labor exhausted, uh, but actually, you know, trying to put some sleep in the bank every day with a nap if possible, going to bed early, 
how many times does labor start? You know, 11, 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night after you've been up since six o'clock, you know, in the morning. And that's a hard place to be. So I think, um, you know, entering it well is, is, is a gift definitely that you can do. Do you know what I mean? Like those are not hard things. Anybody can do those things. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. Yeah, they sound, well, they, they sound like this should be easy, but I think sometimes they can oh. be, <laughs> the reality of it is, is may not be easy, but yeah, these are great, great tips. So this one's specifically for doulas, um, or I guess, or partners as well. Are there any red flags that a doula or partner may spot ahead of time to recognize its prodromal labor? That way she can help support the mom a little better. Well, that's a great question, Deb. One of the things I try not to do <clears throat> excuse me, is to be a helicopter doula. Um, someone calls me and gives me a heads up and says, you know, I think things might be starting. I don't want to be like, okay, I'll talk to you in two hours. I'll talk to you in two hours. When things are still in the early phases, because that gives the emotional impression that things should really be changing at, at, a, at a fast frequency, at a fast pace. And that's not the case. So if someone called me maybe at nine or 10 in the morning and said, um, hey, you know, I think things might be starting. I'm feeling a little crampy, you know, had a little uh, pink show. I might say, hey, let's talk tonight before you go to bed unless something changes first. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm not like drilling into their head that they need to be uber focused on what's going on right away. Um, so I, I think that's one thing that we can do as professionals. And then reassure parents that this is really normal, really normal. Uh, and encourage them to rest and hydrate and eat. And that sounds, you know, again, I know it's so hard to do, but it really is the best gift you can give in that early latent phase, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think that's helpful because I think, you know, a lot of new doulas, and I'm sure I did this when I was brand new, I was just so excited to help. And that, you know, because that's because we want to, you know, as new doulas, like, we want to do this. And then it can stress the parents out. So I had had a teacher say, like, it's not doula, it's do less. So see what you have to do that maybe not, like you said, I love it, helicopter doula. You know, it's kind of watch and be the support without overdoing the yourself in the scenario. So let's look a little bit about back labor and prodromal because I think some they they can appear similar in certain ways so how would you differentiate back labor from prodromal labor well you've hit on um two of the things that I say I say there are four things that are unlucky in labor and those are two of them (laughs) yes Um, and you know any labor that lasts longer than 24 hours um is one 
Growing up with every contraction Ooh. is another. When your water breaks bad. <laughs> and your your contractions don't start can be really stressful. And then back labor. Um, the four things that are I feel like are a little bit unlucky. So back labor is typically, again, um, a result of a malpositioned baby, a baby that may have their hands up by their head or their head cocked or a little asynclitic, uh, malpositioned. Facing the wrong way instead of facing toward the parent's back, facing toward the parent's belly. Um, and the people who have back labor have shared with me that they felt like they could handle the contractions from the labor, but they felt like a chainsaw was going up their back. You know, like it, it's they're not even you, you, they're not even connected. Um, it's just so squeeze harder on my back, press harder, please help, uh, is just really unfair. And, um, I, I, I wish nobody had that because it's not fun. Mm -hmm. So it does tend to last a long time because oftentimes, as we mentioned, babies malpositioned, so it's not efficiently and effectively pushing on the cervix. So how, how could a doula or partner see the difference if it's just prodromal, which could be emotional or if it's true back labor, is it the, where the pain is? Well, and I, I feel like back labor tends to come more when things really pick up mm -hmm. versus prodromal labor. Uh, it's not quite active labor yet. It's still more that, that latent phase and the contractions may still be a little spaced apart. Don't require a huge amount of coping, um, maybe you need to breathe differently or something, but you're not, you know, really slamming your head against the wall. And I feel like back labor, it takes everybody on your team to kind of help you through each and every contraction, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the things that you're going to do for back labor, they'll work for prodromal labor as well. Um, you know, I like to say you can't make a good baby go bad. Um, you know, babies, it's, it's two people doing this labor dance. It's the pregnant person and the baby. And um, they want to be in the right position if they can. And so giving them, it's our job as the pregnant person to give them the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. and, and those things will help correct a prodromal labor and they'll also help with back labor. But I feel like when someone's dealing with back labor, it's you know, the intensity is really ramped up. And it's so emotional. I've been with so many women that they, you know, these contractions are slamming them one, at, one on top of the other, and they think they're really far along. And then they get an exam and they're like, you're two or three centimeters. And it's just, it's heartbreaking because then there's that, how can I get all the way to 10? It's, it's pretty heartbreaking. Right. So right. a similar question that I asked before, is there a certain body type or placenta position or placement or anything pregnancy activity that could create more of a likeliness of someone having back labor? Because we really try to avoid it at all costs. Yeah. Well, I have heard, and I'd have to look at the research again to be sure, but I have heard that uh, uh, what we call an anterior placenta, where the placenta is in the uh, front of the uterus uh, versus the back or posterior, that babies like to bury their face in the placenta. So when you have an anterior placenta, you may have a baby who's facing out instead of facing toward the back. Um, I, I've heard that there may be a connection with that. Um, sometimes it's the shape of the pelvis. Sometimes um, it's just how the baby kind of settled in there. Uh, tight pelvic floors 
can be a challenge um, because we spend our whole life trying to hold our core up, you know, tighten that pelvic floor, bring it up, bring it up. And the reality is that labor is about bulging it down. And that's not an intuitive um, feeling or sensation or action that we practice over and over and over. Um, a good example of where we do practice that is when we sit on the toilet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, people who are really holding things up and in are really holding things up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and um, the labor reflects that. So um, sometimes for those people, an epidural is the biggest gift that they can have to their labor because it, it helps them to relax their pelvic floor and baby can then um, rotate like they need to without fighting the muscles. I've seen that. I remember early in my doula career, I had one woman, she was a very strong athlete. And after about 30-ish hours, she was barely holding herself up. And, you know, and she told me, I want to go naturally, I want to go naturally. And we had convinced her, myself, her partner and, and her care provider that an epidural is not an evil thing and that it could really relax her enough and she didn't she took it first of all she slept which was amazing and then you're right just like you said it relaxed the pelvic floor quickly enough for baby to descend down so i think sometimes we we make things very black and white and i'm glad that you mentioned that epidurals can be helpful right and i don't know i know that um with your yoga background i don't i don't want to give anybody who who is a triathlete who is a marathon runner who is a ballerina dancer an equestrian a yoga master. I, I never want to imply that. Oh well, you know, you're doomed. You have a you know a pelvic floor of steel, and that's like, how do you find the balance of that? Because you know, that's not everybody who is that isn't going to have a. You know, it just takes all kinds. But I never want to imply to someone that they're cursed. But I I am thinking about that in the background. Yeah, and it's good for those people to say maybe we're going to focus on instead of strengthening your pelvic floor, maybe you're the person that works more on your relaxation quality of your pelvic floor. So, right. I, yeah, I appreciate you mentioning. I never thought of question. I guess yeah, they're squeezing the horse with their inner oh, thighs. You betcha. They got they got tight <laughs> pelvic floors. Yeah, I don't I don't work with too many equestrians in New York City. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine you do. <laughs> so, um, is there anything a woman can do during pregnancy to help avoid the back labor? Is there an activity? Like we mentioned certain sports. Is there anything else that she could do that might help her steer away from it? You mean that she could do in advance? Yes. Before? Yeah. Uh, I'm a big believer in um, some of Gail Tully's work with spinning yeah. babies mm-hmm. and the three sisters, uh, side-lying release, um, things that help balance the uterus and the ligaments that are holding the uterus in place. Um, I am a big believer in chiropractic care um, for pregnant people. I know some people are skeptical of that, but I really feel like a good chiropractor can help balance things uh, so that the baby is free to move into the space that it needs. Um, Yeah. Those I mean, great. those are those are two things that I think can be really helpful. Because as we've discussed, you know, back labor is not something anyone really wants, and so the more we can do to avoid it, the better. So, for partners or doulas, <clears throat> what are some again similar to the red flags of prodromal? What are some red flags that the mom is in back labor when um, when she says my back hurts so much? I feel it all in my back. Press harder on my back. 
Um, I never, this sounds weird, but I never rely on, on what healthcare providers tell me about the baby's position because I just assume, let's just assume that every baby is malpositioned and try and play it out that way. It's kind of, I kind of like as a doula, I want to go home. And so it's to my benefit to, to help proceed the labor in a way that, you know, keeps it moving forward. I, um, I encourage lots of position changes and, um, forward leaning positions and things that are asymmetrical, um, you know, stairs sideways and lunges that open the pelvis and, and, I try and avoid deep squats mm-hmm. until we know that the baby is well, you know, past those zero station ischial spines and on their way out. Otherwise, because um, deep squats just close the pelvic inlet when we're still trying to get the baby down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think um, back labor is a case where it really makes sense to have a, um, a second support person or a doula because uh, that's it can be really hard on the partner. A lot of physical support. Yeah, I've done several back labors and it's my arms are killing by the end of, I mean, like not just gentle pressure, like squeeze that pelvis. And sometimes when my arms are out, I try to use my inner thighs to squeeze. I mean, it's, it's, it's physically, uh, I mean, the mom's going through her own special hell, but like the, the doula and partner is really well, Let's not forget our, our, our own special <laughs> hell, right? Um, yeah. And I have a lot of, I teach in my classes a lot of um, tips and tricks to um, be able to do like the double hip squeeze or counter pressure in a way that's um, very easy for the partner or the doula because I like to say that I'm really lazy and <laughs> I don't want to do all that work. Yeah, I should learn that because my arms are always killing. So is there anything else besides the back pain that can indicate baby's malpositioned? Uh, I mean, a long, slow, progressing labor, particularly, you know, once we know that ACOG, American Congress of College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists says that you know, there's no time limits on latent or early labor. Mm-hmm. But once you get into, quote, active labor, um, where the cervix is about five or six centimeters and moving on, um, they, everybody kind of expects to see some steady progress. And mm-hmm. so, you know, once somebody has headed into that active labor part and we're not seeing um, continued dilation or even in a pushing phase, you know, when there's been three or four hours of pushing and baby's still not coming down the way we expect, you got to assume a malpositioned baby or hands up by the head or, or a head cocked just a little bit off or something. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, I remember it being my fifth birth in as a doula and every time the woman had a contraction, she felt like she had to pee. And then my doula mentor said it's because the forehead was pressing against the bladder. And so I'd always use, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, uh, that as a, yeah. a red flag. And, and then of course I would take her to the bathroom and nothing would come out and then she'd have another contraction. Oh, I have to pay. And so that had become one of my little tricks that I'm watching for during labors. Oh, interesting. I feel yeah. like, I feel like the whole baby is pressing on the bladder yeah. at that point. So I don't know if one could say it's the baby or back labor, but I will tell you that some, frequently an, um, a premature urge to push, like when um, somebody is not fully dilated, mm-hmm. but 
um, they feel like they need to push it seven or eight centimeters mm-hmm. um, is often a sign of an, an OP or mal, you know, back labor baby. Ooh, I hadn't heard that. I'm going to stick that in my back pocket. Thank you for that right. great tip. All right, we're going to go in the completely opposite direction since it's all about variations of labor. So the right. complete opposite of back labor and prodromal Precipitous birth. <laughs> oh, right. Right. Precipitous birth is, um, I think it's defined as a labor that's less than maybe three hours. Mm-hmm. I, I, I probably say like, you know, anything like three to five hours is probably like roller coaster crazy. A lot of people feel like, oh, I would like that. Who wants to be in labor forever? But precipitous labor, I think, is just as, um, has just as much potential to be traumatic and difficult as um, as a slow as a slow labor or back labor, because you know you learn in childbirth classes. Oh, it starts slow. You're gonna go to the movies. You're gonna watch you know watch some TV, nap. So you're expecting this slow to start labor, and all of a sudden, like you you know your labor starts like you got hit by a two by four, and you're like, if this is early labor, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And in the reality, your baby's coming quite quickly. Yeah, and I know that can overwhelm women. Um, so what can the support, I call it the birth posse, her little team that she's assembled, what can they do to help the mom who is having a precipitous birth and is just overwhelmed by how unexpectedly quickly things have happened? Right. Um, I mean, letting her, I guess, letting her know that um it's happening fast, acknowledging that this is, I don't want to say not normal, but that this is a fast labor. So it's really intense. Let's just get through one contraction. Let's not worry about how much longer there is. Uh, make sure that you're in a safe place. I mean, if when people say the baby's coming, I believe them. So if it's a question of this baby's coming fast and we're still at home and we need to get to a birth location, um, you know, making choices that are safe uh, in terms of you don't want to have a baby born in the car. I mean, you know, people I think are worried about that. It doesn't happen very often. But when someone says to me, I think the baby's coming, I totally believe that they know what's going on. And and, and then we make plans accordingly. Um, you know, you just got to be right in their face, helping them. It's very intense and it's very scary. And, and they may have planned a medicated birth. And um, they're often isn't time to, to, um, to have an epidural if the baby is coming so fast can be very intense. And then the baby's here and they're kind of shocky. Like what just happened? You know, like, wow, three hours ago I was sleeping and now I have a baby in my arms. It's, it, it, it can be very, very emotionally and physically difficult. Yeah, I, I think so. I haven't had too many in my practice, but I've had a few, um, but my students. So what should a woman do if she is having a very rapid birth and she's not sure she'll make it to the hospital? Um, I would say if she's planning to birth at the hospital, I would say call 911. Um, you know, I like to say that babies who are coming quickly, things are going well. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? The uterus is strong. The uterus is effective. The baby is positioned well. I mean, that's, you know, things are going well. Mm-hmm. It's unlikely that those babies are stuck or um, trying to figure things out. But, uh, you know, I know it sounds intimidating and scary to think about having to call 911. And I think that um, just in case there's complications on the other side, like a postpartum hemorrhage or a baby who's a little slow to start, it's nice to have um, somebody who can handle an emergency that's not you or your partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had just 
two in my lifetime as a doula and we did have to call 911 and I walked in before 911 got there and I just oh, come back my. and I just came back from the farm so I had some idea of what to do until they got there and thank god they delivered really most of the baby in placenta but I had another client that I got to her house and she said she felt the baby right there so I said I need you to stitch your fingers in your vagina and tell me what you feel and she said I right. feel something hard yeah <laughs> said we gotta and i said if your water breaks before we leave the house we're staying and if it doesn't we're getting to the hospital and, and it was new york so we were able to get there pretty quickly it wasn't that far away but it was i have to tell you as the doula i had to keep a cool face but inside i was a little panicked and have you ever yeah. had those situations um i have had a few close calls um out of hospital where the midwife has um has not you know I can remember one where the midwife literally like sort of opened the front door, lunged towards the birth pool and caught the baby. Wow. Um, and I had asked the partner who was in the pool. Um, I had said, you know, put your hand. And the mom was like, the baby's coming. And, and I remember the partner, I said, put your hands down there and see what you feel. And he was like, I feel a softball. And I was like, okay, I really would appreciate it if somebody walked in now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they did. But interestingly, just as an offshoot, I've I've attended about 450 plus births and I've only caught two babies. And those two babies were both in the hospital, strangely, and with the same client. <laughs> Apparently you were just destined to be catching her babies. <laughs> I don't know. Very strange. Very strange. And um, the first one was ob- completely unexpected. And the second one... I um, told the nurse that she's kind of a stealth pusher and we need to be prepared that last time I had caught the baby and I don't want that to happen again. And then it happened again. <laughs> and uh, I and then I, I just was hysterical. <laughs> that is funny. So <laughs> one other question about precipitous. So I've often have second time moms in class that their first labors were pretty quick and statistically second labors are usually quicker than first. So what would you say to them if they're afraid to, that they're going to have a really quick birth? Do they just get to the hospital that much sooner than they might have otherwise, or it's kind of have the same rules? Yeah, that's a trick, tricky question, Deb, because I think um, when some, I agree with you that, you know, oftentimes the second or especially the second baby is a little bit quicker than the first. And if you had a very precipitous labor the first time, what, what are you going to expect the second time? So, so that, uh, gosh, I'd have to really think about that. Sometimes I hear of people who have chosen to be induced in those situations because they're <clears throat> particularly if their cervix is very uh, ripe and positive and you know there's a lot going on and and they had a very fast labor the first time right they they would much rather like maybe have somebody break their water and have their baby in a con- quote controlled situation than um, risk going into labor again and depending on their um, I don't want to say their trauma or fear. That's not, but depending on their feelings about their first birth, that may give them some control in what felt like a very uncontrollable situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, third babies, I, 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 I was hired by someone for their third baby. First two babies were very quick. 
third baby, um, you know, we, 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 we did a few false, false runs to the hospital. And then, um, finally that baby had to be induced like at 42 weeks. So, so, and it wasn't, you know, and then when, when she finally went into like full blown labor, it was very quick, but, uh, wasn't what they were expecting. So, Hey, all's fair in, uh, in birth, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I do know a lot of people get concerned, but I think those are great ideas to just kind of be prepared. Um, so are there any last minute tips for our pregnant community members or for the partners that you don't think we've covered? Um, uh, boy, lots of tips. Um, I often talk about doing DEP. DEP stands for drink, eat, pee. And partners and support people are the debt managers and um, really making sure that the laboring person is getting good quality nutrition throughout their their labor. Uh, it's hard to eat. It's hard to eat a lot during labor. So you want it to be something that's going to pack a lot of punch mm-hmm. and staying hydrated. I really love um, the Lamaze Six Healthy Birth Practices. I know we're both Lamaze certified childbirth educators. I mean, that's the best six-line birth plan ever, right? Let labor start on its own, have support of your choice, freedom of movement, no routine interventions, push with the urge to push in an upright position and don't separate the parent from their baby. And I, I think that when people keep those in mind and ask the decisions that they're making, is that bringing me closer to those goals or further away can really um, help. Trust yourself. No one loves this baby more than you. Um, I, I firmly believe in the parents' instincts. Um, you don't have to be an athlete or strong to give birth. We've been doing it for a long time. Um, birth where you feel safe with people who make you feel strong and, uh, and have, you know, be free to be the way you want to be. There's no wrong way to do it. Those are perfect. Those are, I couldn't have said anything better. It's perfect. And they're great, great things to let the communities kind of marinate with because every single one of them is just great. That's wonderful advice. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate your, your knowledge and your energy and what you have to share. I really appreciate that. Thank you. My pleasure, Deb. And hopefully we'll have a chance to meet in person at some event somewhere in the future. There's always um, Lamas events. So hopefully I can get there myself to one. Since, uh, should you be in the Seattle area? I'd love to, show you around and introduce you to the birth people here. I would love that. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You're welcome. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money.